the scripture reading for this morning is from 1 Timothy 6, 13 to 14. Hear the word of our Lord. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Oh, as I said, it's a joy to be back together with you all. I'm very thankful for Nick Matei and Grant Bostrom filling in for me the last couple of weeks and preaching. Um, I thought both of their messages were extremely helpful and um, directing our attention to the Lord. I particularly enjoyed Grant's message from Psalm 25 because as Lauren said, Psalm 25 is my favorite Psalm. And I thought it was very helpful. So I pray that you were served well by that. I believe the Lord blessed their time with you. Now for me, coming back this week, um, this text for some reason was unusually difficult. Um, It's kind of a welcome back from the Lord. Like here, let me throw you into something and not give you much clarity for working through it. It was difficult for me to work through uh, these verses for some reason. Um, I thought they would be easy, but the problem I was running into is that there are so many rich and weighty statements that are contained in these verses. I didn't know how to draw a straight line through them all and connect them. I, I kept wanting to go this way and wanting to go that way and make its own, you know, make a sermon out of a little phrase here, and I didn't necessarily want to do that. What I'm going to do today is uh, give my best attempt to lead you through this passage, and I'm going to trust that the Lord will bless us under the ministry of his word. As a recap, the last few times we've been in 1 Timothy, uh, we've looked at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, where Paul is giving a calling to Timothy to persevere in living the Christian life. We're coming to the end of this book. It's kind of the the summing up of everything that Paul has been saying to Timothy throughout the entire book. Now Paul comes to the climax, and basically he lays these two charges upon Timothy. First of all, Timothy, devote yourself to living a faithful Christian life. That's what we were looking at. Uh, Flee from sin. Uh, Pursue righteousness, faith, endurance, steadfastness, patience, love, all these things. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life. Live out a persevering Christian life. And now this morning we come to the verses in this section that are really calling Timothy not to live out a persevering Christian life, but to give himself over to a persevering Christian ministry. Devote yourself to living a faithful and persevering life of ministry. Now today, I think the best way to look at this text is to see in this text three realities uh, 
that Timothy needed to keep in mind in order to have a persevering and faithful ministry. Three things he needed to remember if he was going to be faithful to the Lord in his ministry. First of all, Timothy needed to remember that he was a man under orders. He was a man under orders. Secondly, Timothy needed to remember who would ultimately hold him accountable. And then thirdly, Timothy needed to keep in mind that there is a finish line to his ministry. And he needed to labor faithfully until he reached the end. So that's what we're going to look at today. I ask you to pray with me now as we begin. Father, as always, we come before you needy and dependent, especially when we're entering into this high task of preaching your word and listening to the preaching of your word. Lord, we know that this is the center of our worship. This is the the central act of worship that we can give ourselves over to. And we pray, Lord, that as we preach and as we hear, as we listen and take heed and apply the truths of your word found in this section, I pray that you would make it useful and beneficial for our everlasting good in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctify your name, Father. Let it be hallowed among us. Let your kingdom, let the nearness of your kingdom be sensed in our own hearts, Lord. Let your will be done in our own lives as your will is done in heaven. Lord, make us more faithful to you as a result of our time here this morning. And may Christ Jesus be lifted high and honored in our lives. Father, we ask this in in His name and for the sake of His glory. Amen. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at here as we come to 1 Timothy 6.13 is that Timothy was to remember he was a man under orders. You see this here in verse 13 where Paul says, I charge you. I charge you, Timothy. Again, we've seen so many strong words in this section. Here's just another strong word to add to the list. This is a very forceful word. It's announcing something that must be done. And most of the time, this word is used from a superior giving orders or commands to those who are under his or her authority such as a commanding officer giving charges to the soldiers under his care, under his authority, telling them what they ought to do. It's the same word used in Acts 17.30, actually, where God stands before all the world and commands all men everywhere to repent. It's a very forceful command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a plea. It's not begging the world to, to repent and believe in Jesus. God stands forth in all of his mighty authority and commands the whole world, repent of your sin and come to my son. That same kind of authoritative declaration is what we're seeing here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13. That's not the first time we've seen this word in this book. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 3, the whole book opens with 
making known what Timothy's responsibility was in the church in Ephesus. He was to charge certain persons not to teach different doctrines, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies that were direct, uh, diverting them from Christ. Timothy was to stand up in the authority that was upon him as a minister of the gospel and command those who were deviating from the truth to repent and come back to the gospel. In chapter 4, verse 11, we find that this was one of the central elements of Timothy's ministry. He was to command and teach the things that Paul was writing about in this letter to the believers in the church in Ephesus. And then in five, chapter 5, verse 7, again, Timothy was to command these things so that the believers there in that church would be above reproach. And so this whole book is calling Timothy to a ministry of authority. Command the believers to do these things. Don't make suggestions. Don't give your opinion. You stand up in the authority of Christ Jesus and you tell them what the will of Jesus is for their lives. Command them. But here in chapter 6, Paul turns the tables on Timothy. No longer is Timothy being charged to command others. Now Paul is the one doing the commanding. And Timothy is the one receiving the command. Now that is significant for a number of reasons. I thought of many, but I limited myself to two. First of all, it showed this commanding of Timothy. It showed that Timothy himself, as I've said, was a man under orders. You know, people in leadership, and especially leadership in the church for some reason, can be tempted more than others to think that the rules don't apply to them. Right? Rules are for other people. Uh, I, I even, on our vacation, I heard of a situation of a pastor in a church somewhere who was commanding everyone to do all these different things, and then when someone came up and rebuked him for having an adulterous affair, he said, who are you to touch the Lord's anointed? Yeah, we laugh at that and we think, man, that's ridiculous. Who would actually believe that? But that is a sad reality that is taking place in churches all over the world. Particularly for people who are in authority, who get a taste of what it means to be in authority over other people, the, fallen, the, the condition of the fallen human heart is it always leads to the temptation to take advantage of that authority. And what I think we need to pull from this is... What should never be forgotten is that no man has the right to stand in Christ's church and command Christ's people who is not consciously submissive to the demands of Christ himself. If Timothy was going to stand in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and command Christ's people to obey his will, then Timothy himself needed to make sure that he was in conscious submission to the authority of Christ in obedience to his commands. Timothy was charged to command Christ's people to obey his will. But as one who was living, but only as one who was living under Christ's commands himself. So that's one takeaway we can pull from these orders that are being placed upon Timothy. But there's a second one that I want to highlight. And I think this is more appropriate to the context of what Paul is driving at and laying this order down on Timothy to obey. Paul is commanding Timothy, charging him to be faithful in ministry because this serves as a great encouragement for Timothy 
to persevere in doing the work of the ministry. Say that again. Paul commands Timothy to be faithful in the ministry because that command serves as an encouragement for him to be faithful in the ministry. And what I mean by encouragement, I don't mean exhortation. I mean it serves as something to strengthen Timothy's heart and his resolve to move forward in obedience to the will of Christ for his life. What am I talking about? We've seen before in our study of the book of 1 Timothy that Timothy had every opportunity to doubt his usefulness and his calling as a minister of the gospel. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 tells us that Timothy was actually pretty young. And as when we walk through that, uh, man, how long ago was that? that we, we opened up the book. Is that two years ago when we opened up this book? When we were walking through that, we noted that Timothy was probably around my age. He's probably 30 to 35 years old. And in that society, to be under 40 meant that you were still a young man and you weren't really worth listening to. So who is this Timothy to come forward into the church in Ephesus and start commanding people to obey what he has to say? As a young man, he had every opportunity to doubt his usefulness and the legitimacy of his calling in the context in which he was. Uh, we learn in 1 Timothy 5.23 that Timothy was sickly and he was prone to what this seems to indicate that he was prone to be anxious and to be stressful over the demands of the ministry that were upon him. He had stomach problems and he had frequent ailments. Now his sickly constitution, his anxious nature, if that is indeed what that's talking about, that would give him plenty of reason. That would give him ample cause to doubt whether he was in the right place, whether he was truly where the Lord wanted him to be. And then you add to that the reality of that we find in 2 Timothy 1.7, that very often it seems as though Timothy was given to timidity and fear. Paul had to exhort him in verse 6 to fan into flame the gift of God that was in him. What does that mean? That means that the gift of God that was in him had cooled off. Right? He wasn't fanning it into flame. He was being discouraged. And what was discouraging him? Well, I think that's what it says in verse 7. Paul says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, Timothy. He's given us a spirit of power and love and self-control. And so putting the pieces together, Timothy had many reasons to doubt whether or not he was actually called into the ministry or whether he would be used by God in the ministry. And yet what we find here in this verse is over against all of the timidity that Timothy may have felt in the work, all the insecurities that may have come upon him, the fears and the doubts, and even the failures that he experienced in ministry. Over against all of that, this clarion call comes forth from the Apostle Paul saying, Timothy, you are charged by God to be faithful in this ministry. Regardless of how you feel, go do it. Be faithful. None of his struggles would change the fact that Timothy was called by God and appointed by God for such a time as this to do the work of the ministry that had been entrusted to him. Now you say, great, for Timothy. Well, that's also true for you, beloved. I, I can't tell you how often I hear Christians 
give excuses for why they cannot do something that God has explicitly told us to do in His Word. I'm not equipped. I'm not ready. I don't have the boldness. I don't have the clarity of thinking. I don't know the Scriptures well enough. I'm not filled with the Spirit the way I need to be in order to do that. How many times have you heard people say things like that? Or how many times have you said those things yourself as an excuse for not moving forward in obedience to the Lord's will? What Timothy was drawing from this, what he should have been drawing from this anyway, was that his adequacy for the ministry, his adequacy to do the work that had been entrusted to him, did not come from his physical constitution. His adequacy to do the work did not come from his own strength in the faith. It didn't come from his own resolve or his boldness or his own giftings that he could well up inside of himself. Timothy's calling and his adequacy to do the work of the ministry came from the God who called him to do it. It's the same with you. What God has called you to do in obedience to His will, He will equip you to do in obedience to obey, to obey His will. It's the same principle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. Right? Paul confesses. It's not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency comes from where? It comes from God. Verse 6. God is the one who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Now that's true for the apostles. That's true for you also. If God calls us to do something, and when he calls us to do something, he reveals it in his word. What God has called us to do in his word, he will equip us to do. I mean, just think about this for a second. I don't mean to run on with this too long, but I want you to think through this. Was Peter really adequate in himself to get out of the boat and walk on water? Well, Christ told him to. Did Peter well up the ability to do that in himself and say, Oh, man, I'm going to make this water stand firm under my feet and carry me to Jesus? No, Peter didn't do that. Who made Peter adequate to walk on the water? The Lord who called him. What about the apostles? Do you think the apostles were adequate in and of themselves to cast demons out and to heal the sick and to preach the gospel throughout the known world? Do you think they did that because they were some strong and mighty people? They were, they were just great in themselves and they had endurance and they had tenacity in themselves and they went out and they did it. You think they did that in their own strength? No, they did it because God equipped them to do it. He made them faithful and He gave them the strength they needed to obey His will. Jesus gave them the command, go forth into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all I've commanded you to do. When they went forth to obey His will, Jesus gave them the strength they needed to do it. You think Noah knew how to build an ark the way that he should? No, God gave him that wisdom. What, what about Bezalel and Aholiab? Do you guys even know who that is? Yeah, some of you, yeah, I know who that is. The two men that the Lord gave wisdom to so that they knew exactly how to build the tabernacle so that the worship of God in Israel could take place. 
They didn't have that wisdom in themselves. It says that God put within them a spirit of wisdom to do the work he had called Israel to do. We could go on and on. We could go on to Samson. We could go on to Joab and Abishai. We could go on to Eliezer. We could go on to David. All of these people in the Old Testament who didn't have the strength and the ability and the capacity in themselves to do what God was calling them to do. But God gave them the strength to do what He was calling them to do. And it's the same exact thing here for Timothy. He was a man under divine orders. And as one who was under divine orders, God was going to give him the strength to obey His will. As I said, it's the same with you and me. You don't feel gifted to pray. You don't feel gifted to read the Scriptures. You don't feel gifted to encourage the brokenhearted. You don't feel adequate to share the Gospel with your neighbor. You don't feel like you have the strength you need to love your husband the way the Lord has called you to love your husband or to lay your life down for your wife the way you are called to. You don't think you have the wisdom that you need to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You don't think you have the ability to go to school and study and do what you believe the Lord's calling you to do. To do missions, to do evangelism, to come here with Chris Jones and sit out there and pray for the lost who stop in for prayer. You don't think you have the equipment that you need to do that? That is a lie from hell to cause you to be stagnant and inactive. What God has called you to do, He will strengthen you to do. I don't mean to get too excited on this. I just, I want you to feel the weight of this. Timothy was not adequate in himself to do what he was doing. But God had commanded him to do it. It's the same with you. It's the same with you. But if if God's word tells us to do something and the opportunity comes for us to do it, then we need to rise up in faith and go forth and do it, believing that God's going to strengthen us to fulfill the charge. All right, so that's some of why it's important to recognize that Timothy was a man under orders. Now the question is, What is it that Timothy was being charged to do? What were his orders? Well, we see that in verse 14, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul charges Timothy to keep the commandment. Keep the commandment. Now, what is the commandment that Paul refers to here? What is that commandment? This book has been filled with many commandments. What exactly is Paul, does Paul have in mind? Well, in essence, John Calvin said, in essence, this commandment is the ministry in its totality. The ministry that had been entrusted to Timothy. It's the high calling of shepherding God's people in God's household. Of furthering the administration of God that is by faith. Right? Strengthening the the faith of the believers in the living God who is the Savior of all men and especially of those who believe. Building up the saints in holy love for God and for one another. That's chapter 1, verse 5. This is the aim of our charge is love. Right? 
The commandment for Timothy was the charge to confront the false teachers with the truth and to call them to repentance. The command upon Timothy was the command for him to restructure and reorganize the church in Ephesus according to the will of Jesus Christ so that she might be a strong pillar for the truth. To wage war against apostasy in the church by continuing to preach the words of the faith and the good doctrine that he had been following. And at the very heart and center of all that Timothy was charged to do, it's summarized in 1 Timothy 4.16, Timothy's ministry charge, this commandment that he had to uphold, was the command to keep a close watch on himself and to keep a close watch on the teaching. See, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, charges Timothy here amid all the pressures of ministry and all the issues that Timothy was facing and dealing with in Ephesus. Over against all of his doubts, his fears, his failures, his stumblings, here the Holy Spirit charges Timothy to keep waging a good warfare as a minister of the gospel and to strive forward to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. And the reason for that, we see that right here in this verse, the reason for that is because the health and strength of Christ's church in Ephesus depended upon it. The health of the church was dependent upon Timothy's faithfulness to keep this charge. You remember what this verse points out? What was at stake if Timothy decided not to be faithful in fulfilling his ministry? What does it say at the end? His own salvation and the salvation of his hearers. Now, that doesn't mean that Timothy was working to earn the salvation for everyone. It just meant that in God's plan for building up healthy churches, God has chosen that a faithful minister and a faithful ministry is the means whereby he will work the full blessings of salvation into the hearts of his people. And if Timothy does not give himself faithfully to upholding that ministry, he is removing himself from being a means of grace to Christ's people. The health of the church was at stake. Now, we've seen in many parts in this book, this almost feels like a, a rabbit trail, but keep coming. We've seen in many parts in this book that there are many parts within the church that must function properly in order to have a healthy church. The church must be a church of prayer, right? Some of us still haven't understood that. But we must be a church of prayer if we are going to function according to Christ's will. The men of the church must be holy men who lead the church in praying. The women of the church must be women who adorn themselves, not outwardly for the, appear, for the, uh, for the attention of their appearance, but inwardly with the, the deeds of godliness. Right? The elders must be godly men who rule and steward well in the household of God. The deacons must be servant leaders who show the church what it means to serve in the name of Christ. The preaching of the word must be upheld. All these things must come together in order to have a healthy church. But what's important to understand throughout this letter is that no part within the church is as important as the office of the pastorate. For the health of the church, no position within the church has as much force or influence as the man who is sitting in the pulpit preaching, standing in the pulpit preaching. 
It's like what Martin Lloyd-Jones says, as goes the pulpit, so goes the church, right? Patrick Fairbairn says in his book on pastoral theology, that pastors have, by virtue of their special gifts and callings, the foremost place to occupy in the church. And much depends on their zeal and energy for the progress that is made in that blessed work. For, he goes on to say, for the pastor's job is to stand and minister in Christ's name. The pastor's job is to give themselves to the defense and the propagation of Christ's gospel. The pastor's job is to cause Christ's voice to be perpetually heard through the ministry of the word and to bring his authority down upon the people. In a word, the pastor's job is to apply themselves to every available means which are designed to bring those that are far off near to Christ. And the pastor's job for every believer under their care, he goes on to say, is to carry forward their advancement in the life of faith and holiness. That is the job of the minister, and that is that the church is dependent upon faithful ministers who will uphold that calling. And so here we find Paul laying this commandment before Timothy and charging him to be faithful to it. Paul says, I charge you, Timothy, remember your calling, remember your orders as a good soldier of Jesus Christ and keep them. Now, Paul goes on in verse 14 of chapter 6 to remind Timothy that being faithful to this duty, this this ministerial charge that was upon him, depended upon him fulfilling that responsibility in a manner that was acceptable to Christ. If his ministry would truly be pleasing to the Lord and would actually be useful to the people of God, then Timothy had to keep this commandment unstained and free from reproach. Now, unstained, you guys know what that means. It just means unblemished, untarnished. You could also think of it in terms of being pure. Timothy was to keep this commandment pure. That is unmixed from the methods and the methodologies of the world. Not bringing in the tactics of the world to try and manipulate people to become Christians. But simply preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and calling people to believe. That's the means of grace that is to be proclaimed from the pulpit in the church. And then he's to keep it free from reproach. That is to keep his ministry above criticism. Not open to attack. Now, the world's always going to look down upon the minister of the gospel. The world's always going to look against, with disdain, against the the gospel ministry of Christ, of the gospel of Christ. But Timothy needed to conduct his life and his ministry in such a way that the world would have no just cause to criticize him or to think less of the one whom he was proclaiming. So, he had to fulfill this charge and keep it unstained and free. From reproach. All right, so the first thing Timothy needed to remember was that he was a man under orders and he needed to be faithful to those orders. Now, next in 1 Timothy 6 13, we see the second reality that Timothy needed to keep in mind as he sought to be a faithful servant of Christ. He not only needed to remember that he was a man under orders, but he also needed to remember the ones who would hold him accountable. 
for how well he fulfilled those orders. You see this in verse 13. Paul says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus to keep the commandment. Now, in the Christian life, and especially in Christian ministry, the temptation to be overly concerned with what everyone else thinks about you and about your ministry is always present. Can I get an amen to that? You ever find yourself worrying too much about what the people in the church think of you or think of your ministry for Christ's sake? Now, I don't mean to imply that we should be unconcerned about the insight or even the constructive criticism that a mature brother or sister in the Lord may offer to us. There are things that they'll bring out that we may not see ourselves, and we need to pay attention to that. However, when our encouragement and our confidence to do ministry is resting upon the opinions and the acceptance of other people, We are no longer seeking the praise that comes from God. We are living for the praise and the approval of man. Or to put it another way, we're no longer walking in the fear of God. We are walking in the fear of men. And you know what happens when you walk in the fear of men, right? Proverbs 29, 25, what happens? It's a snare. The fear of man is a snare. And if you are constantly operating based upon a fear of what everyone else thinks about you and what you're doing for the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never find in your own heart the freedom that you need actually to move forward and do ministry for His sake. As I said, other people's thoughts can be helpful and they can help you think about the situation or circumstances or ministry from a different angle. But at the end of the day, there's only one opinion that matters. And whose opinion is that? God's. Yeah. God's opinion. So in charging Timothy to be faithful in his ministry, Paul reminds him who ultimately will judge the faithfulness of his ministry. And it's not the brothers and sisters in Ephesus. And it's not the brothers and sisters in Iconium. And it's not even the apostle Paul. It is God, the one who gives life to all things, and Christ Jesus, who himself is the faithful witness. So let's look at those in order. Notice first in verse 13, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things. Now, obviously, the the principle witness to Timothy's life here is God the Father. Now I find it interesting that Paul specifically talks of God the Father as the one who gives life to all things. Why did Paul say that? What does that have to do with encouraging Timothy in the ministry? Well, as I thought about that and I wrestled with that, three things came to mind. Three reasons why God as the giver of life to all things is important for living out a faithful ministry. So if you can, follow with me. First of all, it's important because God is the one who gives life to all things, including Timothy. 
And therefore, God is the one who will hold each of us accountable for how we use the life that he gives. Now, that's true for everyone. We will all have to stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives to God. But that is especially true for those who stand to minister in God's household. It is a high calling to be a steward and a shepherd of God's children. Do you know that that's what you are? You are the children of the living God. And to be responsible for washing you with the truth and encouraging your heart in the gospel and leading you on to your Savior, that is a mighty calling and it comes with a weight of responsibility. And the scripture warns us that God himself will take vengeance on the one who abuses or mistreats or takes advantage of God's children. You see this, for example, Paul mentions it in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17, where he says that the church is God's temple. That's because within the church, the Holy Spirit dwells among us in a unique way. We are the temple of the living God. And the one who damages or destroys that temple, what does Paul say God will do to that person? He says God himself will destroy that person. You lay your hand upon God's children. You seek to desecrate God's temple. God will destroy you. Why is that? Paul goes on to say, because right at the end, God's temple is holy. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, that is exactly what you are. You are holy. You are consecrated. You are separated unto God through the blood of his son. And if God's son gave his life to purchase you as God's own possession, do you think the father will take it lightly when someone abuses you or takes advantage of you? No, he will not. You are holy to the Lord. You are God's own possession. You are the apple of his eye. And woe to that man who fails to uphold the commandment to build you up in the faith. You, OCC, you are the precious people of God, just as this church body in Ephesus was. With all of its problems, they too were God's chosen children whom he had adopted to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fear of realizing what he was charged to take care of and the person to whom he would give an account, that fear was to govern every decision Timothy made in seeking to shepherd well and in all his dealings with that church. Now, I want to say right now on behalf of the elders, we know that we do not shepherd you perfectly. We know that we make mistakes. And you may not always agree or understand with the decisions that we make in shepherding this church body. But I can tell you honestly that we are consciously striving to take care of this household of God. Realizing that we will one day have to give an account for how we deal with you. You are, let me put it this way. Let me break from the notes. You are God's children. And one day, Lauren Huben... Eric Marshall and Seth Beiersdorf are going to have to stand before your father 
and give an account for how we've treated you. God help the man who lays an abusive hand upon my children. I will be going to jail. If I have such zeal and love for my children as a fallen creature, does God not have all the more zeal for you whom He has redeemed through His beloved Son? Do you think He will take it lightly when we make decisions in this place that are not in accord with His Word? Do you think He will take it lightly when we choose to withhold the food that we are supposed to give to you and we gorge ourselves upon it and, and take advantage of you? I was going to say fleece the flock. Do you think God's going to take that lightly? He will not. And we recognize that. You are God's children. You are God's household. You are His temple. And we will give an account to God as the living God for the way that we treat you. Now that is a sobering reminder for us. That's a sobering reminder for Timothy. That he would give an account to God for how faithful he was shepherding God's people. However, I think there's another reason why this is important for encouraging a faithful ministry. This appeal to God as the giver of life. It's not only meant to serve as a warning, but it is also meant to serve as an encouragement. The God who gives life to all things is the same God who sustains and preserves the life of all things. Including Timothy. And so long as God was sustaining Timothy's life, it was proof that God stood ready to come to Timothy's aid when he sought to use the life God had given him for the glory of God. Does that make sense? Is it complicated? God as the giver of life is also God the sustainer of life. And if God continued to sustain Timothy's life, that was proof positive that God also stood ready to help Timothy use his life the way that God had called him to use it. It's as the prophet Hanani said in 2 Chronicles 16.9, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth in order to do what? What does he... His eyes run to and fro so that he can what? So that he can give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless toward him. What is God looking for in the world? He's looking for those whose hearts are upright before Him so that He can then give them strong support. Strengthen them, encourage them, help them in the fight, lead them forward, help them walk in the glory of His name and for the sake of His kingdom. God is actively waiting upon people like that. We don't have to coerce Him. We don't have to manipulate Him. We don't have to sit down here and beg God over and over again, God, help me, please. Help me do Your will. Help me do Your will. God's eyes are running to and fro looking for those who trust in Him to help them. And if He is sustaining our lives as the giver of life, then we can be confident that the very moment we're breathing is the exact same moment that God stands ready to help. Amen to that. I'll amen it. Fairbairn says, God is represented here in this verse as the preserver 
of all and consequently as the one who is able to minister protection and support to those who are ready to obey his will. He goes on to say, he stands ready to support those who are willing to hazard all for his glory. I wonder if you believe that. If you actually believe that the God who has given you life and who sustains your life is actually ready to give you all the spiritual strength you need to do His will. Are you ready to hazard all? Are you ready to to fling all of your life away in service of the Lord? To risk everything in service to Christ? I think when God's people actually believe this truth so much that they act upon it, that is when we will start to see revival in the church. There's a third reason why this is an important encouragement for a faithful ministry. The other encouragement that this gives, and we're going to end on this one, so we'll pick back up here next week. The third encouragement that this gives to Timothy and his ministry God as the one who gives life to all things is this. Because God gives life to all, all people, all things, Timothy can pour his heart out in ministry and he can give all of his life to doing it even if everyone rejected him. Timothy could continue to minister for the glory of Christ even if no one believed him. He could continue to speak the message of the glory of Jesus Christ even if people don't hear the report that he's giving. Because one day, every person who borrows life from God will know the truth about the God who has given them life and the God who demands their allegiance. To stand for truth in a world that is built upon lies will be costly. Do you believe that? Do you know that? I know we all say we believe it, but do you, have you experienced how costly it can be to stand for the truth in a world of lies? Standing for the truth in the world of lies will cost us a lot. It was going to cost Timothy a lot. But as Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, 26, we are not to fear the unbelief of the unbelieving world. Because nothing that is now covered will not be revealed. Double negative there. In other words, everything's going to be revealed one day. The truth is going to be made known. The God who is the one who gives life to all things will stand forth in His glory and all of His creatures will bow the knee before Him and swear allegiance to Him. It's going to happen. 
So even as we move forward preaching the truth of a, of a resurrected Savior who was crucified to save us from our sins, even as we call an unbelieving world to repentance, even when they don't believe, we can still move forward in faith and with confidence, knowing that the day is coming when Jesus Christ will be revealed in all of His glory, and every single person we talk to will be confronted with the Lamb of God who is standing as though slain. It will happen. It will happen. You can minister with confidence. You can minister with zeal. You can minister with encouragement. You can minister with strength. You can keep preaching the gospel even though the world acts as though a wall of granite was between you. You can keep preaching the truth because one day the truth is going to be known. And on that day, everyone who stood for the truth will be known as well. The day of vindication. Therefore, Jesus says, because one day everything that is hidden, everything that is covered will be revealed and everything that is hidden will be made known. Jesus says, therefore, what is told to you in the dark, speak it in the light. What is whispered to you on the housetops, you can unashamedly, or excuse me, what's whispered to you in the inner room, you can unashamedly proclaim on the housetops. Because even if it is not believed now, the day is coming when the truth will be made known and will be seen for what it is. Now this was a great encouragement for Timothy to remember. This is also a great encouragement for us to remember. People's unbelief in the truth does not change what is true. God is, what does it say in Romans 3? God is true, though every man be found a liar. You know, the sunrise is still true even when a blind man can't see it. One day, the God of all life will be universally recognized for who he is. And he will be universally seen as having spoken in the Lord Jesus Christ. And on that day, his people, those who stood for the truth and stood with him, will be vindicated before him. So, Ministering as one who is to be held accountable to God, the one who gives life to all things, is a great encouragement for Timothy. It's a great encouragement for us to hold on to. Next week, we will return and pick up with Jesus Christ as a witness. And then we will look at the finish line to which Timothy had to labor until he reached it. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And God, how complicated it can feel at times because of our own sinfulness. But Lord, your word is clear. Your testimony is sure, it's solid, it's firm. And your word ministers to our hearts and souls. Lord, I pray that you would use it this morning, that you would strengthen us in the truth, that you would lead us for the sake of Jesus Christ. Lord, and help us move forward with boldness in the different ministries and different capacities that you've entrusted to us, Lord. Please, we look to you, we wait upon you. We ask you to be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand for our closing hymn?